0: Sassanacs, it's Chelsea back for another episode of the Sassanac Files. This week I am finally getting around to releasing my discussion from Valentine's Day where I talked about the opening credits for season seven. But before we get to that, I want to take a moment to remind you that you can find the Sassanac Files on all sorts of listening platforms including iTunes, Castbox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and many more. Also, if you have not had a chance yet, make sure you head over to follow the Sass Snack Files on both Facebook and Instagram to make sure you are up to date on all of the latest and greatest news concerning Outlander season seven and eight, Blood of My Blood, Men in Kilts season two, and anything Diana Gabaldon cooks up. And with all of that out of the way, let's get into talking about the opening credits for season seven. Everybody's initial thoughts on the opening comments versus what you think after you've had a chance to sit with it for a little bit because I'm feeling a little bit better about the opening credits song version than I was a few days ago. It's not as I felt like it was really jarring, and I think that's the issue with releasing these opening credits early, and maybe that's why they do it so that people have a chance to adjust. Before they just throw it in there. I don't know. It's still not my favorite. I will say that. It's not one of those that I am going to love. It's like season five. And I liked it better than I liked season fives initially. I will say that. But I don't think that it's going to be one of those that I'm like, oh, it's my favorite version. I love the original version. What's wrong with that? I don't want to be one of those people that doesn't like change, you know, but I liked the original version. (laughs) And I think even the Jacobite theme for season two was probably my favorite, which is the one that was on the second half of the season. That was probably my favorite, just because it was like a lot of bagpipes and really Scottish. This one, I thought long and hard about it. I thought, well, there's got to be a reason that they chose this arrangement. And I would hate to think that it's just oh, well, we have a chance to get Sinead O'Connor, so let's just do what we have to do. Like, I, I would hate to think that that was the thought process behind it. The only thing that I could really come up with is that they're trying to show the change of this season because it's more of a out with the old and with the new type thing because with season seven, we're going to have a lot of new cast New sets, new filming locations, new writers for the season. So they're kind of just giving that vibe of we want a fresh take on this was the only thing that I could really think of because it's not a colonial America sound, which is what I thought they might go with. It's not even, like, Sinead O'Connor is Irish. Like, it's not even, like, they're trying to go with, like, really embracing the roots of this season, even. So I'm not really sure what the thought process was. Like I said, I don't want to feel like it was just a shock value thing. You know, it's also kind of showing a transition from last season to this season. We're very much moving out of the Ridge years and moving into the Revolution years when you're looking at the structure of the books. So that could have a lot to do with it as well. When we're looking at the overall structure of this opening credits sequence, I think that all of these images are from the first few episodes, probably the first eight episodes of the season. Angela, in her live a couple of days ago, Brought up a good point that that's actually probably alluding to the fact that they will have another set of credits after like a midseason break, which I kind of like that idea. I do agree with her, though. She said that she doesn't look for them to change the song at all. And I don't either, because if you have a big name like Sinead O'Connor, you're not going to just go back to Raya Yarborough after eight episodes. That's my train of thought, I guess, on it says, since Brian Roger go to the 80s, I'm wondering if she'll have more than one version eventually. I don't think so. I think that this is them giving that nod. You know, in season four, how they did more of a bluegrass theme. It wasn't really music that was prevalent in the colonies in that time. Uh, when you're looking at Jamie and Claire's time frame or uh, plot line, but it was very much something that was popular in the 60s and 70s where Brie and Roger were. And so that's kind of where they brought that in. So I could see this version being a nod to that, like more of a modern feel or a modern take on that song, I guess. But I really don't look for them to have done multiple versions of this song. I guess I could be wrong. But I think that this is probably it. And this will be our version throughout the season. We talked about the overall sound of the opening credits, which I think, like I said, was shock factor on that. Bear McCreary actually teased a few months ago, he was like, I can't wait for you guys to hear what we're working on or whatever. And it was the theme song with Sinead O'Connor. He actually posted that. So I thought that that was... (laughs) That was cool. He was like, in case you didn't notice, this was my tease on working with Sinead O'Connor. But getting into the actual opening credits, the first few scenes are actually pretty standard, I guess. You have the dancers at the stones from season one, and then you've got the shot of Claire running through the woods. And something that I wanted to mention that they do with Every season, which I thought is really cool, and I actually really like it, and it's one of those things that has stayed the same, and these are the only two people that they do this for, are whenever they have Katrina Balfe, it's always a frame of Katrina, and then when they do Sam hewens credit, it's always a frame of mm-hmm. Sam Heughan. And then they go in with the rest of the credits and for everybody else, it's completely different. Like whenever you get to Sophie Skelton and Rick Rankin and all of those, it's just random shots. It's not necessarily related to them at all. But I love that they do give like a little performance nod to them with the frame of them in the opening credits. So the first slide that we get that is any different from your typical opening credits is Jamie outside a tent aiming a rifle at someone. And I was just trying to think where this could be because it could be so many different things and it could be something that they totally made up for television. But I really felt like that was an apropos moment to include in the season just because of the warlike nature of this season. You know, we really haven't had a vibe like that since season two. So it's almost like throwing it back to OG Outlander in a way, if you want to look at it that way. We're getting back to the warrior roots of this series. So I I liked that it was very out of focus and just, you can see the barrel of the rifle, but you can 100% tell that it's Jamie holding the rifle. Creatively speaking, I loved that scene And it reminded me a lot of my favorite image from season six when we're talking about the official stills, where it's Jamie pointing his rifle out the window and like the sparks and the smoke are coming off the gun. The second slide was a panning up shot to the new American flag raised outside of a structure of some sort, which leads me to believe that this is where we're starting to get into the new feel of season seven, because the first few episodes, probably the first two or three episodes, are going to be wrapping up the storylines from season six and A Breath of Snow and Ashes, and then we're going to slowly start to feel our way into plot lines from Echo. If somebody knows, I I told myself I was going to ask you guys this because I couldn't think of what this was. What is the iron thing that the shot pans up through to the American flag? It looked almost like something that you would hang a cauldron or a pot over on a fire, but I wasn't 100% sure. So I didn't know if there was anybody here who could tell me what that was. But yeah, I was like, maybe this is symbolically significant and I just don't know what it is. I did think it was kind of cool, and maybe this was the whole point, that in that shot where all the wires cross over together to form this bracket, it's a star. And I thought that that was really cool that that it then pans up through the sky up to the flag, the American flag. So maybe that was the point of it. Maybe they're just showing the stars and then panning up to the flag and focusing in on the flag with the 13 stars for the 13 colonies. I thought about that just now. Angela, many think it was inside the tent. You think outside. Yeah, I do. That's where I'm headed on it. I think it's I think it's outside of the tent. It really struck me as kind of like sitting around the campfire type thing and then somebody unwelcome comes up. That was kind of my thought. I could see where they get the inside the tent thing because of how the the tent kind of seems backlit like you're looking at firelight through the canvas of the tent. I don't know. It just didn't strike me that way. Like it struck me like he's standing outside the tent with the rifle. Let's see. So with this frame of the new American flag, that's kind of you're getting a close up of it for the first time. This is the slide that they chose for Sophie and Rick to be listed. And I think that this is kind of hinting at the new beginning that these characters are going to be taking their journey toward this season. Because in season five, it was very much Brianna was concerned with, well, if we make this decision, then America may never become America. I don't know if you guys remember that line from the season five trailer, but that is one that like vividly stuck out to me from that. And so I genuinely connect Brianna to modern day America. And so whenever we're looking at Brianna and Roger and the actors that play them being on this slide, that's one reason that I was like, oh, that makes sense. That made sense to me that they would be on this image of the American flag. Angela, I was torn on it. Do you think he's checking his sights or shooting someone? Oh, I think that he is aiming at someone. That's the vibe that I got out of it. That could be just because it was slow motion. So that kind of could give it that feel, I guess. But yeah, I got the feeling that he was aiming at someone, like someone unwelcome had appeared. So that was interesting to me. So I guess it could go either way. It could be if he was checking the sights on it. I think that is more likely to be inside the tent. But if he's aiming at someone, I see that more likely being outside the tent. So I guess it's just dealer's choice on that one. (laughs) But yeah, my initial reaction and my gut feeling on it is that he's aiming at someone and it's outside the tent. The third new image that we get, I'm just touching on the new images for this one because I feel like seven seasons in, we have seen enough of the old <laughs> images that they're burned forever into people's minds. <laughs> but the new ones are the ones that are fun to dissect. The third little scene we get is Jamie rowing the fam over to Coke for Roger and Bree to go back. I know that that's what this is because we have seen images of this behind the scenes. I don't know if any of you are kind of keeping up with what's been released, but there was a period a few months back, I guess it was probably in the fall, that they were filming at a place called Dunbar, which is where they filmed everything that had to do with Coke, But I also think that there's a few scenes that they filmed that were not related to the Coke stuff, but still very much in the first few episodes more like when they're in on the coast in the wilmington area in the New Bern area i think there's actually another snippet here in the opening credits that i think was filmed in the exact same location but i don't think it has anything to do with them going back to the stones so i'll make sure to point that out when we get to it i found it interesting that jamie's the one rowing the boat and roger's just sitting in the bow <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, please let's not go back to Roger leaving Jamie to do all. I could see it now. All the Roger hate on that scene. But maybe it's just a thing where Jamie wants to distract himself because otherwise he'd be seasick. I don't know. That's the only thing that I could think of reasoning wise on that. But an interesting thing about this shot being included in the opening credits is that it's not actually the actors in that. We got snippets of them filming this little scene and it's actually all their body doubles, which I thought was interesting. You can't really tell from far away. So I guess that means they did a good job casting the body doubles and the stunt people. The person that's credited on this slide is John Bell. And I was puzzled on why they would have chosen this scene for his name. I guess it's more so the order that they want to go in. But I will say with this opening credits and I don't know whether it's because I'm digging into it more than I have in the past, but some of these shots seemed so random to include in the opening credits. I feel like with season five and season six, the shots were very intentionally chosen to be in the opening credits. And there were a couple this time where I was like, that seems really weird. Why is this important enough to make the opening credits? That one got me. There are a lot of allusions to all of the Max going back stuff. And I don't know whether that's because the executives were a really, big fan of how those episodes looked and how they were shot cinematically and so they wanted to include a lot of those shots in the opening credits or if they're just trying really hard to include the Max in the opening credits to make it appear as though they're together the whole season. I don't know whether it's attempted head fake or if they're just a really big fan of how those episodes look visually and so that's why they chose all of these scenes. It could be both. It could be one or the other. I do think from every everything that we have seen so far. They are a really big fan of that director. And Alistair Walker does a really good job as director of photography. And he has a really beautiful way of lighting and showing color. So jury's still out on why I think that they have chosen these specific scenes. But it does puzzle me a little bit. The fourth scene. This one got the wheels turning a little bit. This is where two people are kind of touching hands. And there are several possibilities here. My biggest leaning, I guess, what I'm really feeling like it is, is Jamie and Claire, because (laughs) this is going to sound really weird and obsessive, but Sam has these really long, elegant fingers with these beautifully oval shaped nails and they really looked like sam's hands the guys did and i like this theory because if this is the case i have a feeling that this is one of those famous jamie and claire i love you be safe scenes that we get before every single serious battle that's fought so i think that this could either be before Morse creek bridge if we get that or before saratoga i think that the ticonderoga stuff is going to happen too quick. Like they're not going to have enough of a heads up for any sort of scene like that, because especially in the book, it's a very chaotic few hours that happen there and nobody really knows what's going on and they're just focused on getting the hell out. So I really kind of got the vibe that it was before Saratoga, but it could be before Morse Creek Bridge if that indeed becomes a thing. I'm not 100% sold on Morse Creek Bridge being included. I think that it probably will to a certain extent. I just don't know how much they would focus on it. I don't know that that would warrant a goodbye scene or a grand gesture I love you scene between Jamie and Claire. So I really think that this is probably before Saratoga. Because of the fingers though, (laughs) you guys are gonna laugh at me, the only other suggestion that I'm halfway on board with possibly, but I'm not sold on it because of the setting behind these characters, which looks like a tent of some sort again, I was thinking it could could potentially be Rachel and William because the woman's clothes kind of do look like an outfit that we've seen Rachel in for filming but it also looks like something that could easily be Claire and something she would wear as well so jury's out on it but I do like the idea of it potentially being Rachel and William but then there's this small piece of me like just a tiny part that notices this ruffle on the chest area of the person on the right side. So I'm like, this could be two women. It could be. I mean, I don't know. I really think it's a man and a woman just based on how broad the body is and how masculine the clothing is on the person on the right versus how feminine and petite the silhouette is on the person on the left. Like I said, my first vote is Jamie and Claire but we'll see. Angela says, wow, I feel so certain it's Ian and Rachel. Now you have me second guessing, but I'm pretty take bunkered on it. It could be. I'm not like 100% set on about half of this stuff. All of this stuff was so wishy-washy and it felt so random to me. Most of the stuff that was in this opening credits, I was reeling, honestly. Like, I'm glad I got a couple of extra days to talk about it because I just was not sure, to be honest. Rachel and Ian crossed my mind. but I don't think it's Ian just because of the type of clothing doesn't seem like anything I've ever seen Ian in. So that's what had me wavering on it being Rachel and Ian. Mandy, I didn't even think of those other possibilities. I immediately thought Ian and Rachel. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm not sold on any of this. So (laughs) this is just my initial reaction and things that I'm thinking after having sat on it for a couple of days. But there are very few things in this opening credits that I'm take bunkered on. Laura, I thought it was the beads on the person on the right, so I thought it was ian and rachel okay i at least feel like it's for sure rachel that doesn't feel like claire to me exactly that's where i was on it i'm like it felt like rachel to me but then the guy's silhouette a felt too bulky to be john bell i'm sorry he's a very petite guy he's very small framed so it felt too bulky to be john is kind of what i was feeling on it plus the clothes didn't look like anything that we've ever seen ian wear heretofore so that was my thing on it so then i was like well maybe it's William and Rachel because Charles is a big guy, much bigger than John is. Like I said, don't hold me to any of this because I really don't feel comfortable or or like confident in 95% of what I'm saying today. If I'm confident on something, you guys will know. Trust me. Back to something that I feel comfortable about and confident on. The fifth section is definitely the burning of the big house. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I really did kind of like this imagery of everybody going to the trough with water buckets. I felt like it was an all hands on deck type feel, and it definitely hints at the same thing that the teaser trailer hinted at that we're finally getting around to this plot point that's been hinted and hinted about for two full seasons now. Three full seasons now, actually. I liked that. We really got the sense that there are a lot of, almost a lot of moving parts in this new season and a lot of different hands in the cookie jar, I guess, much more violent and dramatic cookie jar, but lots of stuff going on. And so that's why I really dug that imagery of so many people all with the buckets in the water, not to mention the gorgeous lighting of the flames in the water and how that reflects with the orange on the black. I thought that was really cool. And this is the one that they chose to do Bear McCreary's credits on, which always have to give that guy credit because he always does a phenomenal job. But also they gave Chris Larkin a credit on this. That one got me because I'm wondering if this is not the credits for the first episode as we see it. Because two people that are not credited are David Barry and Charles Vandervaart, who we know are going to have pretty massive roles in this season. We don't see Izzy Meikle-Small or whoever the guy is that plays Denny. I'm drawing a blank right now. But Chris Larkin would make sense to be in the credits for the first episode because that is kind of the conclusion of all the stuff that happened in the season six finale. And that would also make sense why Mark Lewis-Jones is in these credits. I'm thinking that that is it. That these are literally the credits for the first couple of episodes. And possibly, I'm just having a thought now. I know I mentioned them switching the credits at like the halfway point of this season. But what if... They are doing the credits switch after the Big House fire. Because now that I'm thinking on it, 95-97% of these credits are scenes that I feel very comfortable suggesting they are probably before the Macs go back or immediately after the only one that I'm thinking is later on in the season would potentially be the Jamie and Claire for sure take bunker. That's who it is scene that I'll talk about in a couple of minutes. And I think that that is probably right after they leave the ridge. So that was kind of my thoughts on it. That maybe they're gonna switch the credits like after the first four episodes or so, and that's where they're going to start including David Barry and Charles Vander art and the Hunters and all of that are then going to be through the rest of the season in those opening credits. Joey Phillips. Thank you, Angela. Jeez Louise. I was like, I'm going to feel so stupid when somebody fills in the blank for me because I know it's not a complicated name. So yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about that, actually. I don't think it's going to be at the halfway mark. I think it's going to be like after the max go back. So the next scene is a shot of a beautiful silhouette. I loved the colors in this. It's the banner for this event that I created on Facebook, but it is the silhouette of what I think is the continental camp. Just because the guy that's in silhouette with the drum, it doesn't, to my eye at least, look like a British uniform. It looks much more like a militia uniform almost, and so could be much earlier than when they joined up with the Continental Army. I'm pretty take bunkered on that, I guess. That's one of those that I'm I'm pretty confident on it that that is for sure not the British camp because we get shots of the British Army later to kind of show the plot's involvement on both sides. Yeah, I'm feeling like this is much more closer to home, so to speak. So the credits on this slide are Trisha Bigger as the costume designer and Anne McEwen as makeup and hair designer. No changes there. They have been in their roles for a couple of seasons now, doing a fantastic job. And then we get the famous Fraser's Ridge marker with Rolo walking by. And this is where we get Suzanne Smith as the casting director, who's also been with the show since the beginning. I like the Fraser's Ridge marker. And you can tell that they're really fond of this image because it's something that has has been included in the teaser trailer and the opening credits. It is a very cinematic shot and I think it does ground us in where this season is going to open up. It's probably something that we're going to see within the first couple of episodes once we join back up with Ian and I know that this is going to be a scene where we see Ian because we've got Rolo walking by and they're never far apart from each other. And this is one of those images that I felt like was worthy of being in the opening credits. It's a very iconic image. Now, slide eight, or scene eight, I call it slides, but you know, snippets, whatever you want to call it. This is another one I'm 100% take Bunkered on, Jamie and Claire, because it's a continuation of the scene that we saw in the teaser trailer. And I can tell this by the curtains in the background. And you can actually see out of that window a little bit and you can see some buildings like they're in a town of some sort. I love this imagery of them dancing, like anytime Jamie and Claire dance, Oh, it's so sweet. They are dancing back to the bed, and then the continuation of that is in the teaser trailer where Claire falls back on the bed and she's all smiles and her hair's all streamed out on the yellow bedspread. It was a gorgeous shot. I am a huge fan of sunlight that comes through at weird angles, whether you've got sunrise, sunset, or just like they're called dog rays, which are where they like come through the clouds and you can see them shining down like spotlights through the holes in the clouds. I'm a huge fan of any of that. And there's actually a scene here in a second where you can see dog rays coming down through the clouds. And I was like, oh, my heart. I love it. My little photographer's eye just catches on it Laura, it reminded me of when Jamie danced Claire to the stones to send her back. Yeah, there was a lot of movement and shots in this opening credits that was kind of a throwback to previous seasons. And this was one of them. But it's such a contrast, like such a spin on where we've previously seen that move. We're talking about Dragonfly and Amber when he dances her to the stones. But this is very much the complete opposite of that. And then it really seems like a beautiful, happy moment between the 2 They're on the road. I have a feeling this takes place after the burning of the big house and they're on their way to go to, um, where were they going? They were going to Scotland initially in the books. They were, I don't know how they're going to play it in the show just because I think that they're likely to cut out all of the pirate sea voyage shenanigans that go on in that portion of Echo. So I don't know if they're going to go with the intention of joining up with the army or, What's going to transpire if they're just, maybe they're going to go join Marsali and Fergus in New Bern. Who knows? I do feel like this is kind of after the house burns down and they're moving off the ridge to wherever they're going to go in season seven. Michael O'Halloran is the, this is his credit slide. He's the editor and he does a fantastic job. If you haven't had a chance, there is a great podcast. It was one of the Droughtlander podcasts that were done by Matt Roberts back before season six, where he actually interviews Mikey O'Halloran is what he goes by. And one of the women that's also an editor for this show, and they kind of give you a, a good grasp on what they're Job entails and things like that. So that was actually pretty interesting if you want to go check it out. It's going to be equally as dramatic, but with no ships, I think is probably what's going to happen. It's one of those things that I'm kind of excited to see because I didn't really care for that section of the book anyway. So I'm excited to see what else they can invent and how that's going to play into the story that we already have. So the next scene is Roger putting the gemstone in Jemmy's pocket. Like I said, this is. Is the second scene we have so far um, hinting at the Max going back. It's so funny because I watched this with my mom last night and she had no idea that's what it was. I didn't say anything to her. I mean, she knows, but I didn't say anything to her. She was like, oh, that's a cute scene. But she didn't know what he was putting in his pocket. And I guess it was just a wake up call to me of how much you already know and how informed of a viewer you are without even thinking about it when you're watching something as a book reader. It was so sweet eat watching Jemmy put his hand on Roger's wrist. I have a feeling it's one of those things that's completely wasn't intentional at all but it was one of those television gold moments that you're like, oh, we have to include that shot in there because it's so cute. I was happy to see that we get another sweet moment from their last name's Adair, right? I'm pretty sure it is. The twins there. It was really cute. Alistair Walker is the director of photography same as the last couple of seasons and he is credited on this slide. Like I said, I'm so happy to see that they're keeping all of these visual and technical people on and that they're happy with their work because I am too. And I feel like it's the test of a true good TV show. The the transition between these roles is completely seamless. You don't even really notice unless somebody points it out to you. You can see a difference in like set designs and stuff like that that you notice when John Gary Steele left and the new set director came on. But it's not like it's a vivid, oh my God, the show looks so different. It's a very subtle vibe where these technical roles are putting their stamp on the show. But it's very much a gentle transition. I love Alistair Walker. I feel like he does a fantastic job as director of photography. So yes, I'm very glad that he's back. The next scene is Brie sitting on the beach. This is one. I also have a couple of scenarios for (laughs) because again, this is one of those that I was like, why is that in there? It doesn't seem particularly cinematic. It doesn't seem significant to the plot. I mean, it's a pretty shot, but it's not even like drop dead gorgeous. It just looks like another day on Outlander (laughs) as bad as that sounds. However, this is the other scene that I was talking about that was likely filmed at Dunbar because we've seen behind the scenes shots of them filming this scene with Bree sitting on the beach. We know that Roger eventually will be in this scene because there are shots of him walking across the beach towards her. But how this all fits in and everything, I'm thinking that this is going to be a scene before they go back through the stones But after all the drama of Morris Creek Bridge and all of that, likely it's just a beach scene. What threw me off, because I think it could even possibly be one of those things where the scene wasn't even necessarily in the episode, they were just utilizing the space but then again it could completely be legitimately in that episode as well because this is the same behind the scenes shots where we saw the guy that plays Donner was with Rick Rankin and he was in the same clothes and all of that jazz so again obviously plot construct on the part of the writers for the show but yes lots of ifs ands or butts about this scene and all of the stuff that we've seen leaked about this scene. This is the scene that I was talking about that has the dog rays popping through the clouds, though. If you look at the the wide shot and up at the sky, you can see the beams of light coming through. So what confused me about this scene, and I know I'm not alone, is that in the background there is a woman and two little boys. And the boys are like playing in the water. And I was very confused as to what on earth (laughs) this has to do with the story at all and who these people are. So I think it's likely that the boys, and this is a big but because I also had a feeling on it that I will explain later. The boys are Jimmy and Jermaine if they're even anybody that we know. Because to be quite frank, if they're just on the beach outside of Wilmington at this point in the story, they could just be extras. And I got to thinking about that. I was like, that could be likely as well. Like we could be reading too much into it. They could be people that we don't know. The only thing leaning me against that is that the little boy does look a lot like Robbie, who plays Jermaine. If it's Jermaine, where on God's green earth did he come from? And who is the woman that is with him? And Jimmy? There's lots of ifs about all of this scenario. The only reason that I'm leaning towards it possibly being someone that we don't know is because in that behind the scenes filming now thing that they released it back in the summer sometime of 22, there were tons of extras all dressed the same. Kids, women, men, all of them. And they were all in that Dunbar area you could tell kind of with the set up and everything, the way that it was based on the images that were leaked there as well. So it could just be extras, especially since we don't see Mandy anywhere and Brie is quite clearly not pregnant. So it's definitely after Mandy's birth. I definitely think it takes place before. I think it might be when they're in Wilmington preparing to go back before they run into William or possibly after. I think that this was just a good opportunity to have a scene between Brie and Roger kind of where it's quiet now out. Wow. If it is Jemmy and Jermaine, there were three possibilities for who the woman could be that's with them. I don't feel very good about it being Marsley, but it is an option. So if possibly Fergus and Marsley got wind that Brie and Roger were leaving and moving away, maybe they would want to come and say goodbye. And that is a potential option for that. The woman doesn't quite look like Marsley, though, but it would make sense if she was with Jemmy and Jermaine, right? A popular theory that I've seen is Lizzie, but I just don't think it's Lizzie because she just had a brand new baby, and why on earth would she be traveling with her new baby to send Brian and Roger off? And why would the twins not be with her? So I don't think it's Lizzie. The person that I think it is is Mrs. Bug, and I saw Donna. <laughs> also suggest that. I think that the Bugs went with everybody to Wilmington. So that is kind of my thought on it. I think that if it's somebody we know, and if it's Jimmy and Jermaine, the woman is likely Mrs. Bug. And that's kind of where I've decided on it. The form kind of looks the same, like her general shape. She's wearing the bonnet like Mrs. Bug generally does. She's kind of got the hunched shoulders that are consistent with Mrs. Bug's character. Yeah, I don't don't think it's Marcelie. You're right. She's too tall to be Marcelie. And that was my thought as well. I just couldn't get past the fact that if it's Jermaine with Jemmy, where did he come from? Because he's not at the Ridge and technically he's in New Bern. And if this is outside Wilmington, it's just like... I wouldn't put it past the show to bring Ferguson Marsley into it to like say goodbye to Bree and Roger and all of that. But yeah, there's definitely some missing pieces there to be sure. The credits for this Marky Franklin Williams or Mark Franklin Williams is on here as a co-producer but this is also one of the writers for this season. They wrote 704, so definitely interesting. I've noticed as I've started paying attention more and more to this over the course of the series that a lot of times they do list the writers as producers. I guess that kind of shows their level of investment because not all of the writers are listed as producers. Just some of them. The next section that we get is a hint at the revolution that ensues. A couple of notable things that I saw on this is that there is a structure off to the left side that you can barely see, a building of some sort, and that we are getting this scene from the British point of view, which leads me to think that this is something that we're going to get from William. So I got to thinking about what this could possibly be because I don't really see it being something later on in the season, so to speak. And then I had this inkling in the back of my head. So I went and I pulled out Echo and kind of started reading through. And there's a scene probably within the first fifth or sixth of the book, where William has recently landed in New York, and they are kind of making their way through New York, and there's a skirmish where there's a house that the british have taken over for their artillery and they're they're being set upon by militia and this is where he sees the dead man with the putnam militia badge and all of that kind of starts to happen so i was wondering if this wasn't that moment it seems like a small moment to keep But it really kind of felt that way to me. Like, it wasn't a huge battle. It was more of a skirmish that they were experiencing in that moment. That was kind of my inkling on it. It's one of my more confident theories (laughs) throughout the course of this opening credits. I felt really good about that one. For this scene, we get Alicia Bissett, who has actually been a supervising producer for many years on the show. I actually saw her on the season one credits yesterday when I was watching them. I was like, oh, there she is. Sarah H. Hot is another supervising producer that's listed and she is the writer for 706. So a lot of times with the writers, they will send one or two of them for a block of shooting for last minute rewrites or to make sure that things are being filmed according to how they're written, or helping to solve problems on, say, it's raining one day and they need to be outside, but it calls for a sunny day or whatever. They try to figure out the logistics of either rewriting the scene or finding something else that can be filmed, kind of reworking everything. So when you see a writer as a supervising producer, a lot of times that's their role. Moving on down. We get one of my favorite images from the entire opening credits, which I know has... Caused a stir amongst the fandom. Everybody loves this image. It's the image of the flags crossing over as the battle lines clash. And we see the British flag and the American flag, and it looks so grungy. That's one thing that I noticed about the lighting of this scene. It's dark and the colors are really dulled out and dirty looking, like gray washed almost, which I thought was very appropriate for a battle scene. You almost get the This haze in the air from all the artillery smoke is very cool. And this is the scene that they chose to put Sam and Kat's executive producer titles on, which I thought was really cool because they've been working towards this title for a long time. And I feel like this is a pretty significant image within the opening credits. So to have them on that really iconic image is one that was like, okay, Yep, Sam and Cat. There you go. And I definitely feel like it's Saratoga. I feel like it's definitely not late enough. Like, they haven't filmed anything else yet that could potentially be a major battle scene that they would get that image from. And, I mean, even William outside of Jamie and Claire's story isn't involved in any other really significant battle where you would see the lines clash. The next one, it's not a new image. This is John giving Jamie the sapphire. We've seen it in the teaser trailer But it gets me so excited seeing this. I know I talked about it in the teaser trailer episode that I did, but I'm really so excited to see this scene, to see Jamie and John interacting again, especially compared to where they left things at the end of season six with Give Me Liberty and John feeling completely betrayed by Jamie. It was really just a really sad moment. So to see them come back together, helping Brianna and her family is just so sweet. The credit listed on this scene is Andy Harries, who is an executive producer. I did some digging on this. So Andy Harris works for Left Bank Productions. He's actually the co-founder of Left Bank Productions, which is one of the biggest production companies in the UK. And they actually also produce The Crown. So the same production company that puts money into the can for Outlander also does the same for The Crown, which I really thought was cool because I love both shows. So there you go. Fun fact. The next little... Slice of film that we get is one that I am absolutely without a doubt 100% take bunkered on. We got an extended shot of the face through the water in the opening credits that we got a shorter version of in the teaser trailer. And it is William. It's so William, 100% take bunkered. I thought it was extremely appropriate that this muddled image of William comes directly after the exchange of the sapphire with John and Jamie. Because, you know, for so long, they've worked to make sure that this young man has the best shot at life. And they both love him desperately. That is one of the huge, huge, huge things that are going to take place over the course of this season is William continuing to discover himself, both literally and metaphorically. (laughs) And this is the two men that had the largest impact on him growing up. So very appropriate that these scenes are paired together. Also, I felt like seeing him through the water was almost like... Over the course of the past two seasons, we haven't really seen William at all, but we've heard about him relentlessly. Every time Jamie and John are together, they're talking about him. Every time Claire sees John, she's asking about him. It's just one of those things where we didn't really see him grow up the last time that we saw him was in season four, but we've heard about him. He's this elusive biological son of Jamie Fraser. He's this adopted son of John Gray. But who is this boy? Really? Who is this young man? Well, we're going to find out in season seven. So I love that imagery of kind of seeing his face through the, the murk of the water. It's just very metaphorical and very beautiful and cinematic and creative. I love it. The guy that we see as Credit on this scene is Jim Kohlberg, and he's listed as an executive producer. He's associated with open road productions. Jim Kohlberg's only intermittently listed as a EP, which I didn't realize was a thing, I guess, until I started doing this research last night. I guess... You can be an executive producer on select episodes or blocks of filming. He was pretty heavily involved in season three, limited episodes in four, I think only a couple of episodes in five, the first three episodes of season six, and then he's listed as an EP for the entire season of season seven. So that would explain why we see him in this credits. But yes, he is one of the execs at Open Road Productions. The next... One is another one of those that the visuals make my eyes dance, I guess, because we get that dark blue sky with the cannons, the bright red of the coats, and it's all lit by these little fires that are down at the base of the artillery. And it reminded me of the line from the Star Spangled Banner by Dawn's Early Light, and that I'm just like, oh... This is such a beautiful image. I love the colors. We got Michael Wilson and Luke Skellhaas on this. Neither one of those are new names. They've been involved with the project for a long time. Michael Wilson pretty much from season three onward and then Luke Skellhaas from season four onward. So the past few seasons at least. And then we get to the 16th scene, which is the ship out to sea, which after listening to Angela, I kind of agree that this is likely the governorship from when Claire is taken on board, just because it doesn't look big enough to be like a cross the sea ship. I mean, it could be hinting at the different levels of sea voyage throughout the course of this season, whether it's the arrival of William onto the shores of America or Jamie and Claire taking General Fraser's body back to Scotland. But I definitely think in literal reference to the show, this is probably the same ship that Claire is on with Governor Martin. It does look the same. So we again got some images leaked to us at the very beginning of season seven filming when Sam climbed up the side of the ship as Jamie and like climbed over it's from the books directly. So we know that that's what it is. And it was at the very beginning of filming to kind of further drive that point home. So it looks like the same ship in both images. So that is another reason that I'm pretty sure that that's what it feels like. If it is that ship, it kind of does waver back and forth on what is absolutely correct, because that ship was just anchored off the coast of North Carolina. It didn't ever set sail and go anywhere. So that was my only kind of little if about it. But... I guess we'll see. It's not too much of a stretch, and I guess if they don't, like, go anywhere, then it doesn't really matter. But possibly what could happen is they could create the plot point that it goes from New Bern to Wilmington, like the ship does, maybe. And so Jamie obviously goes to New Bern to find Claire, doesn't find Claire, but finds Fergus and Marsley, and then they all go down to Wilmington. If we're talking about historical accuracy, that's not it, but we all know that they take a bit of creative liberty in those things, so wouldn't shock me to see either thing. The 17th little frame is Jamie and Claire. I'm 100% take-bunkered that this is Jamie and Claire, A, because... My little Pinocchio, Sam's white horse, prancing as he always does. Like he has this thing where he picks up his feet and he's doing that in this sweeping shot that we get of Jamie and Claire riding across this open space back towards the ridge. I'm guessing after they take Roger and Bree and the kids back to the stones, Claire's hair length seems very similar to the shot that we got of her at the stones with the kids. And somebody said that it reminded them of the shot at the end of the season one credits where Jamie and Claire are riding the single horse through Glencoe. And I thought that that was a really cool connection there. And it does, it kind of has the same feel. It's the same grand arcing musical moment over the C2 sky and um, riding horses across an open space. It was a really beautiful image. The sun is out and shining. So it's got this like optimistic feel to it. So that's the last legit scene that we get. But one thing I want to point out in case you haven't noticed it, in the final scene where it shows Craig Dune, there's a tree down. That actually happened in real life. They actually lost two trees from the hilltop where they put the Craig Dune circle. So they have it showing that tree had fallen in like all the roots up. And from an image standpoint, that's pretty shocking. It's almost like the cracking of the glass. It's very ominous, showing some of the holes. Underneath, like, yeah, for the most part, this is like a pretty optimistic feeling visual overall for the opening credits. But having this at the bottom, like the very end of this opening credits, is like, oh, something's gonna happen. <laughs> That's not good. And then you bring up, Angela brought up a point in her live that she did that you can also look at it as all the promotional material that they put out before this was focusing on the stone circle at Ocracoke, which we do kind kind of focus a lot on that as i was saying there's at least 3 different images throughout the opening credits that Happen surrounding those events. And then at the end, when we get this new revised version of Craig Nadune, well, what does that mean? They're not even in Scotland anymore. Well, it kind of hints at what's going to happen with Buck and Roger going back through the stones to find Jemmy and everything that ensues from that. It is kind of interesting that they chose to include that. And I also think that not only was it a visual alert to the danger lurking underneath of this season, but I think it was. Also, to kind of adjust viewer perspective so they weren't so shocked when they saw the images and the scenes filmed at Craig Nadoon, and they were like, wait a minute, that doesn't look like before. Why doesn't that look like before? And it's, oh, because a tree fell. But now that they included that in the actual imagery at the end of the opening credits, I think that that's going to solve a lot of those issues for people, if they even notice. I don't honestly know that people would even notice, but I thought that that was creative. All righty, that pretty much wraps up what I've got. Donna, gorgeous, gorgeous shot of twilight sky, my favorite time of day and tonight. Yeah, it's like the gloaming, you know, where they talk about in Scottish lore how it's like the time of day when the supernatural is closest to the natural world. It's pretty cool. Angela, that really alters history, but they do that sometimes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. She's talking about the the governorship. I could see them doing that just to include Fergus and Marsley. <laughs> Maybe not. Who knows? But I could. They did it for Myrta. They altered history for Myrta. So why not do it for Fergus and Marsley? People love them just as much as they love Myrta. We'll see, I guess. <laughs> do you have any thoughts about how the release of the trailer in February changes when you think when in the summer they'll release season seven? Yeah, I do have thoughts about that. So Graham McTavish posted earlier this week or late last week when he was asked about season two of Men in Kilts, they were like, did you guys film that like over a year ago? When is that going to be out? He replied back and said, soon is sooner than you think. We did see that Sam and Graham were together doing something a couple of weeks ago. So I'm thinking that they were filming some sort of promotional announcement or something for the second season of Men in Kilts. The second season of Men in Kilts is only going to be six episodes. So if they announce that within the next couple of weeks, that means that they will be airing the second season of Men in Kilts probably about four to six weeks after they announced that. That would be the middle of April, beginning or middle of April. So then if we're talking six or seven weeks past that, that would put the second season of Men in Kilts ending in mid-May. Since they've gone and blown everybody out of the water and released this opening credits on Valentine's Day, I really look to get a season seven trailer probably mid to late April, possibly early May. But I'm thinking that we're going to get season seven, at least the first bit of it, in early to mid-June is my best guess. Based on everything that we have seen so far, I look to get that a lot sooner than originally I thought we would. Which is another reason why I'm kind of panicking because this doesn't at all fit into the original schedule for this podcast that I had planned. I think if they do that, we might likely get like a two or three, maybe even four week break at some point in the middle of the season. And then they'll continue on and it'll end right before the holidays. That's pretty solid math, I think. I think that they they would be able to do that and have it fit pretty comfortably. Susan's asking, did Lauren and Cesar film? There's not been anything leaked, but based on... A comment that Lauren made when she was doing her press for Karen Peary. Somebody asked, oh, are you going to be back for season seven? And she said, I'm not sure I can talk about that, was her wording, which means she's under an NDA. If they're not involved in some way, then they're not under an NDA and they can just say nobody's approached me about it or no, I'm not in season seven or something like that. But instead, she says, I don't think I can talk about that. Which tells me that they're at least partially in the season. Even if it's just a one or two episode cameo, they'll be there in some way, shape, or form. And I would be really surprised if they didn't show up at some point. I will let you guys know if you didn't see, I left a poll for what people would rather see me doing podcasts while the season is going or after season seven is done airing. And it was pretty split down the middle. I think it was only two people off. With that being said, I have made an executive decision to do what's good for me since there wasn't a strong feeling one way or the other. And I'm going to pick back up with podcasting after season seven, because at this point, I've been podcasting for almost a year straight with only a couple of small breaks here and there. And I'm tired. I'm so tired, guys. I I need a break. I need to work on this new book that I'm working on. And it kind of drains me creatively to have to put a new podcast out every week. But I will be doing my knee jerk reactions like I did last season and if you weren't with me last season they're just little 15-20 minute initial takes on the episode I normally do it the the day after the episode comes out and I just talk about what my initial rating on a scale of 1 to 10 is things that kind of stuck out to me that I really liked or I really didn't like and just kind of go from there it's not a deep dive into anything but it's wholesome (laughs) and honest they're very honest I think you'll find that I'm very critical of these episodes episodes when they first come out. That's kind of my thoughts on it. You heard it here first. It will be a big fat goose egg (laughs) while season seven is airing. You won't hear much out of me. I'll post all the stuff that stars posts and show trailers and all of that. And I do generally create threads for each episode for reactions and such so that people can talk in there without spoiling anything. For our international listeners and viewers that don't get the episode until much later, by putting it in that thread, we can kind of keep it from being spoiled for them as well. I will make a post and everything when we actually get a release date for season seven and we get a lot closer to getting it. But as of right now, I just wanted to let you guys know the results of that poll, kind of what's up next for the Sassnack Files. Yeah, can't wait to get there. I feel like it's coming so fast now. I feel like I lost a month and a half of my wait time and I had plans for that. So (laughs) that's interesting. Patty says, this will give us more to look forward to. Yeah, I think that the Sassnack Files started out as a Outlander podcast. And I think that there are so many other podcasts that are geared towards initial reactions and how things look on the surface. But the beauty of doing something retroactively is that you get a 2020 gaze on it. You can see why things were done the way that they were done in episode 1 once you get to episode 16. And things make a lot more sense and you have a deeper appreciation for them. And I like to look at the whole picture whenever I'm doing that kind of thing. So I think it's better for me. I feel like I can be more objective looking at the grand scheme of things. All right, guys, you guys have a good rest of your weekend and I'll chat at you later. Bye. Okay guys, so as you can tell, this was recorded a few weeks ago, and as I am getting ready to put the finishing touches on this episode, it is March 23rd, which is a whole month since we got the opening credits, and a lot has happened since then. Primarily, today we found out that season 7 is going to air on Friday, June 16th. It will be split into a two-part season. The first eight episodes will be in that First part, the second eight episodes will air sometime in 2024. So I'm super excited to have that news in front of me. And it actually makes it a little easier for me as I prep this podcast. It gives me a nice break for about eight or nine weeks, depending on if they put a break in there. And then we can pick back up. I am planning on doing the whole first eight episodes analysis in the interim between part one and part two of season seven. Just so you guys are aware of that. But yeah, I was super excited and totally not. Expecting any sort of news like that to happen until we got the trailer, so that was a pleasant. Thursday surprise for me, for sure. They also released a few official stills with that announcement. We got a picture of Jamie, a picture of Claire, a picture of Brianna and Roger, one of young Ian, and one of Lord John and William. And I'm so excited. I posted on my Instagram and I said, I think this is one of the seasons I've been the most excited for, primarily because we get John and William's roles expanded in this season. They become primary characters if they're sticking with the books and I cannot wait to see all of that take place. So we're rolling down the pipe and apparently if you start your rewatch on April 1st and watch one episode a day that will take you all the way up until the premiere of season seven. So you heard it here and that is official. That was stars released. That is not any sort of rumor so you can begin your countdown. I'm Sassnax. It's coming fast. I hope you guys have a great week. I am off this weekend, but I will be picking up next week with my analysis on the fifth episode of Men in Kilts. So make sure to join me for that. Until then, you guys stay safe out there and I will chat at you later. Bye. Bye.